Hello and welcome to another episode of A Positive Podcast. Today's episode is number 58. A Positive Podcast is powered by OK Clarity. More about them later on in the show. Today's episode is sponsored by Tenyad. The time of an engagement for a bride should be the happiest time in Hakala and a bride's life. Yet, the lack of resources to pay for her beautiful beginnings can turn a dream into a big stress. Ten Yad is an organization established to ease the family's burden so that nothing gets in the way of Akala assuming her exalted role in the chain of Jewish history. When you support Ten Yad, you are part of this everlasting chain, part of the pillars that support the eternal Binyan Adiyad that will usher in the days of Mashiach immediately. When a bride turns to Ten Yad for help, she's treated with respect and service in absolute discretion. And Ten Yad helps Kalas in many different ways. They have beautiful gown showroom in New York, which they, um, from there, they lend out stunning dresses and beautiful bridal accessories at no cost. They also provide a home starter package that contains essentials that new couples can use to set up their home. And it's set up as a beautiful, elegant boutique so the Kala can come shop for her household needs while feeling, you know, special and as if she's shopping in a regular store. And it's just, it's designed beautifully and set up elegantly. You know, a Kala on her wedding day is compared to a queen and Tenyad helps her walk down the aisle feeling like royalty. So, as you probably know, every year Tenyad has this annual auction fundraiser. I remember it as many years ago already, this has been going on for so many years, and it's a beautiful, beautiful occasion and event. And of course, it's a fundraiser, so you're getting both. It's a win-win. You get to choose from an array of luxury, a Cartier watch, a Tesla, thousands of dollars worth of jewelry that you could win, vacations, etc. So, you can win prizes, and at the, all, at the same time, you're helping young couples build their home in such a dignified way. So please go ahead, go to tenyad.org and buy your tickets today. And of course, on October 29th, watch their beautiful, incredible show. It's a phenomenal show. You're not going to want to miss it. So go to tenyad.org today. Please help sp- um, support our patrons. If you would like to support or sponsor an episode in honor of a loved one or celebrate an upcoming special occasion or just because you appreciate what we're doing here, please reach out to my website, positivecoach.com or you can email me at razel at jewishpeabody.com. In addition, if you're curious to hear more about positive psychology-based life coaching and to see if it's a fit for you, you can reach out through my website, a positive coach, to set up a free consultation and see if it's a fit for you. So why not? In addition, if you can take a moment and leave a rating and a review on our podcast, we would be very appreciative because it really helps others find the podcast easier and takes a minute, leave a comment, a rating. It's very effective. So thank you for that. For those that have done that already, thank you so much. If you haven't, go ahead, please. Thank you so much. So let's get into today's episode, episode 58, Celebrating Yumptive, A Journey from Resentment to Joy. So in this really thought-provoking podcast episode, we really get into a really insightful journey through the rich tapestry of the Jewish month of Tishrei and all of the Yom that are part of this beautiful month. So first I sit down with Mrs. Sharna Ginsberg, who's a mentor of mine, a teacher of mine, someone I truly, really respect, who I've had on before, but somebody who really teaches me a lot. And she invites us into her world of expertise, something that she's passionate about, And she discusses beautiful ways in which we can help ourselves reframe and reset in order to show up the way we want to show up for these Yaman Taivim, for these special occasions. 
And through her guidance, we talk about strategies, approaches to overcome resentment and our frustrations that come up inevitably and kind of really help us come into a place of joy, a place of happiness that we can show up and really celebrate the, these Yaman Taivim in a beautiful way. I also have the privilege of sitting down with Rachel Brazell, who's a licensed psychotherapist. And Rachel brings a clinician's keen insight into this conversation. She offers her professional perspective on cultivating more harmonious family dynamics, which can be difficult during these busy Yam Taivim season. And she shares practical techniques and her advice on how to foster peaceful connections with our loved ones. And moreover, Rachel provides invaluable guidance on the art of being fully present for our families, ensuring that these moments of closeness are cherished and enjoyed to the fullest. So I think together with these two conversations, you're really going to have really a better understanding and a more comprehensive toolkit to help to help all of us with our emotional and physical needs, tools to help us really show up for this special time on our Jewish calendar. And my hope is that we'll be more armed with these insights and strategies. You'll be able to overcome the challenges and even more, you'll be able to savor the joy and the deeper connections that this beautiful month of Tishrei can really offer. So sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. Okay. So welcome, Sterna. It is such a pleasure and honor to have you on again. Each time <laughs> we have you on, we get such good feedback. So and I was thinking about Yantif. It was like the summertime. And I was, you know, thinking about all the things that are coming up and how we have so many Yantifim one after the next. And I was like, I would love to put together a podcast discussing how to go into Yantif with all these Yantifim, especially the ones that are one right after the other, without resentment, but rather with with the ability to be present and to be joyful. And, you know, we all want that. And there's things that get in that way, in, in the way of us doing that. And I wanted to um, talk about it. And I was like, who could I talk about it with? Who could I talk about it with? And then I was like, you know, I really love Sharna's point of view and her perspective. So we're going to have a conversation oh, around it. Okay. And um, I'd like to also speak to a therapist from the, you know, you know, clinicians kind of point of view with regard to what people can do to be able to spend time with family without difficulty, you know, okay. I, I, don't, I think that most people would say that they love their family, but they have a hard time being with their family. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Why, yeah. Like we, we need to learn to, to like the people we love, you know, but cause it's a lot of time. It's a, it's, it, and you know, as, as technology has changed our world and how we've become more dependent on distractions when Shabbos and Yantif come and that shuts down, I don't think it's only teenagers that are struggling with that. I think no, us adults are having a challenge with that and yeah. we want it. We all want it. We want to be present and we're, we're finding it difficult. And that's one aspect of it. There's so many angles we could take this at, you know, take this in so many directions, but I'd love for you to share with us, you know, some tools, some things, ideas to help us come into Yamtif in a more present and less resentful kind of way. Well, Rizal, so when you called me, I said yes right away because I love this topic. I'm very passionate about it. I feel that there is so much we could do to 
to have an enjoyable, pleasurable yomtif, not just for ourselves, but of course also for our families. Um, so much of what we do around yomtif has so much around uh, of the stress of yomtif is really man-made, and um, you know just. For for example, like the standards that we set for ourselves. Right, let, let's talk about a few couple of things and then jump in whenever, okay? Sure. <laughs> Just, first of all, the standards I think that we set for ourselves are very, very high and they don't need to be. Um, you know, if a king asks, you know, I, I always use this visual that if a king asks, imagine a father asks his son to pass him a cup of water and the son is on his way to the sink or the refrigerator to get the water. And he's thinking, you know what, why should I give it in this cup? Let me go get a, a nicer cup. And why should it just be water? Let me like squeeze some fresh lemons. Oh, I don't have lemons. Let me go buy lemons. You know, it's like you could make the little task into so many things that are not even what the father wants. By, by the time the kid comes back to bring the bottle of the water, he's out, he's sleeping, he's onto the next thing, right? Obviously that's an extreme example, but I feel like, you know, Hashem gave us a, a time. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of togetherness, time of connection. And yeah, we need to eat and we need to, there are things that need to be done. Like on, Shef, on, on Rosh Hashanah, we build a Shafer. On Yom Kippur, we fast. And on Sukkot, there's a Sukkah, right? And Lulav and Esrik. But like, there's many things that we have, should, I must, has to be this way, that are really, 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 Imposed, and could we challenge those standards? Could we, could we change the rules that we live by? Could we make it more reasonable? Like, who says we have to have these elaborate meals with so many different kinds of foods that take so much time to prepare? And who says we need to, you know, everybody has to have that perfect new outfit before Yamtif and that per like, who says we have to do everything? the way we do it. Maybe we need to challenge those standards. So that's just a very basic thing. And I know that when I say this to people, some people say, so I should lower my standards. Like that's not, well, that's not called lowering your standards. That co That's called raising your standard for joy. Right. You know I, mean? I want to interject and say, I feel that that's a really important point because I, growing up, I know it's a different time than we grew up. We, we did not have many dips. We did not have many salads. There was like a fresh salad, a filter fish, maybe some yoich, you know, <laughs> you know, challah. I don't even think fresh baked challah, everyone baked challah. It was all of this that we're doing is a beautiful thing. And we're beautifying yamtif and we're making it more special. So I get it. I get why we're doing it, but I feel like we have become so much more magusham than ever before in this regard. Like I love beautiful things and I love delicious food. I'm the first one to say that, but I feel like we've so we've gone so far in that direction. It's like so all we hear, all we're talking about is what cut of meat and how kind of meat and 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 how are you cooking and how many different roasts you're going to make and how many salads and dips and the more elaborate you can get, the fancier it is. It's like we're sitting there and this not enoughness, this hedonic treadmill of constant wanting more and more and more. And then there's this voice in my head that says, "Well, it makes yamtif more enjoyable." And like, you know, like I have children that love yummy foods. So I want to make everyone's favorite food. I want Yantif to be joyful right. for them too. Trust right. me, it was up to me. I'm not such, I, I, I might do less, but I also feel like I look around and say that makes it more special for them. So there's these, all these different voices that are coming right. at me. And I'm sure everyone who's listening, I can relate to that, that yes, you're right. Who said, no one said, but do we want to be that person that's, you know, 
simplifying that our kids are going to come in dressed with, you know, yesterday's summer clothes, like, come on, we want to, we want to present ourselves. We want to look good. So it's such a right. balance and it's, right. and it's such a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the food, what you were talking about, I could very much relate to that. Cause when my kids were younger, I literally did the simplest. I would rather play with them on the floor for an hour than be cooking, you know, making all these complicated foods. I didn't eat them. Thank God my husband doesn't need it. You know? So we, as, but as the kids get older, like you, I want to, I want them to, mm -hmm. to have something that they enjoy. But I realize also like there's a certain, every choice that I make is either going to come from a place of fear or a place of love and connection. And when I'm making everyone's favorite food for every meal, that's a fear. They don't actually need, they need an overall sense of, of, value they need to know that i'm thinking about them they need to know that i care to 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 prepare food but i don't have to prove myself so to speak or or give them that you know amazingness that wonderful experience every single meal every single day for every single person it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way and the part of me that feels that i need to is a fear it's not love it's not connection it doesn't it doesn't right so we could accommodate that desire without making ourselves crazy is what I'm saying. Mm. We could accommodate that desire. So over the eight days of Sukkot, by every meal, somebody else is going to, I'm going to have something special by every meal. It doesn't have to be like all my best things by every meal. You know what I mean? Yes. Or all my best things, every yomtiv. It doesn't have to be. I actually had a, an epiphany. It was actually a while ago and I keep going back to this thought that less is more. If you go to fancier, more um, extravagant um, restaurants or hotels, you'll see that they have smaller portions with like mm -hmm. fancy food, but it's like a little bit, it's not like this crazy buffet. I mean, yes, in Israel, if you go into the, you know, hotels, you're going to have like an array of thousands of choices, but less is more. Like, I yeah. think we're trying so hard that First of all, nobody could eat that much. So by the time you come to your third meal, you're you're kind of you're done with food. I mean, if we well, we could eat that much, <laughs> but we just make ourselves nauseous. That's true. It's not. And, there's no point. Right. Well, it, it's a very good point. So <laughs> that's something that I try to remember. That like I, I like that. Like if we just pick one special thing per meal, and that's going to be showcased, and that's that's the special meat, that's the special roast, or that's a special salad, or that's a special dessert. I think that yeah. that's more attainable and it's more, it's like, it's like smart goals, like make yourself something that's actually attainable. If you're going to try to do 13 salads and 13 dips, you're, you know, for some people, I have to say they love it. I have friends that do that and they manage it and it doesn't take away from their, their joy of yumtif. Like for them, they have simcha doing that. I look at it and I'm like, I, I shiver. I, I shudder. It's just too much. I just can't do more than four. Four seems like a lot, even that. So I wanted to, I do want to say that for some people, they, they, they do enjoy that. It does give them simchas yamtif. Right. I also enjoy cooking happens to me, but I know that every time I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. So how much does it cost me to cook in the kitchen for four hours straight? What does it cost? It always costs something, right? And it's not for free. Nothing is for free. Our time is not free. So that's that's the that's the way we could choose ourselves how much does this cookle or this dip how much does it actually cost it's not about the ingredients 
It's what am I not doing because I'm doing this? Anyways, another mm. very- um, That's a very good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Anyways, another very, very big thing that I feel makes a huge difference, and this is something that each of us needs to do, it's inside work in preparation before the umtif, but you know, it could also be done on the umtif is choosing what we do. We're, you know, we're really not forced. Nobody's choosing us to do what we're doing, right? Um, we, yeah, we, we, we could choose to work hard or we could choose not to work hard, but it's, it's um, the only thing that makes us into like a slave and like resentful, you know, is when we feel like there's something that we must do. But really Hashem gives each and every one of us complete power of choice for everything we think, everything we say, everything we do. And like, there are certain things we don't have a choice about, right? I don't have a choice, the personality of my children or the people, like you said, you know, the people that we want to like as, as we love them. Um, we don't get to choose our bodies, our, our homes, our families, you know, these are things that, <clears throat> that we can't choose from one minute to the next, right? But we have 100% complete power of choice in how we see ourselves and how we think and what we think about and what we say and what we do. And I think that recognizing this is a huge gift we could give to ourselves because there are so many things to do, right? Some, whether you're hosting other people or you're a guest, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you have you know, no children or many children, there's always a lot to do on Yom Tif. And as we are looking at those things, we might hear ourselves say, whoa, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this, I have to do that. But really, that sense of I have to do is really what I think what leads us to resentment because why am I the only one who cares? Why am I working so hard? Why can't I just do whatever I want to do? And the truth is, is that we could, right? We could choose our goals and we could choose our job descriptions and we could choose what we want to do. There are so many things we can do but there are very few things that we absolutely must do. So I think if we choose what we do, what we do and in our minds, I in my mind, I try to volunteer wholeheartedly to step up to the plate of the role of a mother, the role of a wife, the role of a, a friend or a hostess, right? Because then if it's a choice, then, you know, it comes with a certain sense of peace and it comes with a sense of no expectations on the other part. Right? I don't have a. I don't have to give the people in my life a invisible bill that they have to pay me because I'm doing this because I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it because I want to. This is who. This is who I am. Right. So it's it's always a choice. And yeah, some people will say, well, it's not a choice because there's consequences. If I don't cook, my kids will be hungry. So obviously, I have to cook. Right. So I think that's still a choice because. There are consequences to everything, but that's part of our choice. There's an impact of every choice that we make. That's part of what we consider when when we make a choice, but it's still it's still a choice. And so what, I'm um, hearing, what I'm hearing you say is that we have to be more intentional about what we're doing. We shouldn't just like run around haphazardly and say, oh, I'm gonna make that. But like really sit down and decide when you're making a menu or you're making your plans for Yantif to think, okay, what am I saying yes to? What am I saying no to? What feels possible what feels manageable and how much time is this going to take for me so that I actually am showing up the way I want to be in this situation yes that and also if we if we change our minds about what is what in other words the intentionality like you you mentioned like be intentional about the choices 
let me let me take it a little bit of step further to parenting let's say if i have a few young children and i think in my mind that what i really want to be doing is davening because it's rosh hashanah or yom kippur or what i really want to be doing is reading a magazine and in between while i want to read and relax i'm going to take care of the kids or i really want to be setting a beautiful table but in between i'm gonna like nurse the baby or take care of the kids or whatever I think that that is a kind of choice that we're setting ourselves up that our kids will be and will will look at will relate to our children as if they are a bothersome burden rather than a joy hmm. because they're the ones we're trying to stick in while what we really want to be doing is relaxing for example okay or, so how would we how would we turn that around in a way that's more serving that serves us more I think we need to choose if I'm going to be a mother of children, the way to enjoy my my time that I spend with my children is to really choose it, to 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 value it, value as a verb, not just as a as that it has value, but a verb, something that I'm consciously doing, you know, that I actually see the person a child. I I find I was recently talking to a a, a young mother and she was saying that, you know, a shift that she recently experienced is that her her children are were young and now her oldest is eight. She has a, a few, maybe four or three, I don't remember, whatever, the number doesn't really matter. But she's saying all of a sudden, like it used to be like she puts the kids to sleep and then she has the night to herself. Or, you know, Sunday morning, she does an activity with the kids and then she'll go out and leave them with the babysitter. Right now, it's like each child is a person. She's realizing that each child is a person and they're not a task. Childcare is not a task that she needs to do. It's each child is a relationship that she wants to enjoy, even as she nurtures and gives, but it's a relationship. Let me get to know this person. The child is four years old, but you know what? She's thinking, she's feeling. Let me get to know her. Like, what is she really thinking? How is this going for her? When we look at a child as a person that we want to have a relationship, not as this thing that we need to take care of. And I know thing is a very strong word, but when it's when it's a job that we need to do, as opposed to a person that I am so blessed to be their one and only mother in, in their whole life that I will ever have, I feel that that brings a different, first of all, it makes it more pleasurable for me to spend time with my children. So then I don't feel like, ugh, 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 every time my kid cries or they're fighting or whatever, it's like, it's not a distraction from what I really want to be doing. It's like, this is what I really want to be doing so I could do it with joy. Hmm. It's like almost like imagine somebody who couldn't have children for many years and finally has children. They probably approach that more like that because they look at it as such each moment. I'm sure they have their moments of challenge too, but I'm saying it's a reframe because it's like, oh, I waited for this. I wanted this for so long and now I have this opportunity and they and they they celebrate each moment. It's just, it's like you said, it's a reframe of looking at it is not as, I love that. It's or they feel guilty. I have or to they just feel change. guilty when they don't appreciate it. Yeah, because no, <laughs> that too. But I'm saying we'll speak to mothers and they'll say to you, I mean, I know this is true for myself. I just need a break from the kids. Then I'm away from the kids. I just miss my kids. I I feel guilty that I'm not with my kids. It's like, right. what do you want? We're, <laughs> when are you going to be happy, Razel? Right. <laughs> but like be in the moment that, that, that moment, it, but it requires us to shift our minds into a place of this is our opportunity instead of 
And I, and I wonder if that's true for like each, each thing that the, each challenge that we approach, like I put out on my Instagram, a question to my viewers, like I'm doing a podcast on Yantif and, you know, trying to go into Yantif with, with more joy and less stress. And, um, this, there's some people that responded. And some of the things that I, I, I heard was that they felt like the, the, um, giving attention to their children when they have guests over for meals was one, one thing, which I thought was a really good point because I find, I always found that to be hard, especially as a shlucha in my community. I have, I invited guests. They're not, they're coming because I invited them, you know, and I should be giving them time and attention. And then I have these children, mm -hmm. Hashem, these gifts that they love to speak. And none of my kids are <laughs> quiet. They all want to say something and they want to say Advar Torah and they're not shy. And they want their mommy and they want mommy's attention specifically when I'm serving the soup. So I think that that's a really good like question just to, to go for a second. Like, how can we, where's there a shift here that we could help ourselves be able to show up in that way for our family when we have to balance and, and juggle the idea of guests, mm -hmm. a meal or all the things that that requires. Do you have anything mm -hmm. to say about that? Like, what would you, what would you say to that? The Positive Podcast is brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity is the place for any Jew, no matter how religious you are, to find an excellent therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist. And it's completely free for you to use. OKClarity.com's professionals are vetted, and they have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. Yes, you can even find me there, because I'm listed as a coach. If you're in the market for a therapist, a coach, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist, or the like, you want to check them out. If you don't find what you're looking for, they have a concierge service where you complete a short form and they will personally match you with someone. Just an important side note, if you are a wellness professional, I highly recommend joining their directory. Their team is amazing and I've received referrals from their platform and OK Clarity has an amazing WhatsApp status with over 8,000 obsessed followers. And yes, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post great humor, so you'll laugh too. If you have WhatsApp, shoot them a message at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. We'll put the links to their website and their WhatsApp in the show notes so you can find those links and go ahead, smash those links. You will not regret it. And now back to our show. So maybe for younger children, we could start off the meal with, obviously you say a and welcome all the guests and whatever, but maybe during the first course, and we tell our guests in advance that during the first course, we're going to get the, have the opportunity to listen to all the little children's, you know, Divrei Torah and show off their coloring pages and whatever. And the second course, um, you know, make it a conversation, an adult conversation. And then older kids are obviously going to be part of both. Right. You know, because they're the siblings of the the proud siblings of their little kids, you know, and and older and the older kids, I don't know that even if the kid wants to say it Torah, that's part of adult conversation. Right. They're not a little kid reading off a paper. They're they're sharing something from their heart. Um, so I think that could be the adult conversation. That's maybe that's a good balance. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good answer. Um, you know, I also find that when we don't have guests. It can be challenging to sit with our family. It can be a challenge to, you know, I, I I know this for myself and I've heard this from other people as well. Well, that this is a struggle, a Shabbos table. They have an idea in their head of how it should be, how meals should look like growing up. And the top is going to sit at the front of the table. The father is going to be there and it's going to be a Dvar Torah. And the kids are just going to look, you know, with gleaming eyes at their parents and they're going to, you know, be right. helpful and clear the table. 
And the reality is, is this one's fighting with that one and this sibling is screaming and that one doesn't want the chicken and this one, it's, it's a struggle. It's a challenge. Right. What would you right. tell a parent that's having a difficulty with accepting or showing up at the Shabbos meal with, um, in the way she wants to and, and getting out of it, the joy that she, she wants to get out of a Shabbos meal. Rachel, I love the way you phrased that question because what you said is really the answer. You said, what wouldn't you tell somebody who's having trouble with accepting? That was the word that jumped out at me, right? I think the key word is accepting. Accepting that our children, you know, for me, I have this tool, I call it ABC. A is like when I'm feeling overwhelmed, A is accept. This moment is exactly as it should be. This child is exactly as it should be because what sets me off is like, they shouldn't be doing that. This shouldn't be happening. This is this. This is not how it's supposed to be, right? This is completely dysfunctional. And then I'm like, forget it. Then I lose it, right? So accept for me is just like, accept this. Yeah, they should. This child should be doing that because they're a child. And this child should be fighting because that's how they, that's how they, this is their personality. This is where they're up to in their life. This is, this is their personal struggle right now. This is, this is how they are. And, and the, and the husband should be whatever he's doing because that's who he is. This moment is exactly as it should be. So acceptance is such a big piece and B is breathe. And then C is I could choose. I could choose from that place of calm. Like I, I try to consciously breathe in Hashem's empowerment of me and my dignity and my worthiness because I feel like in the place of overwhelm, I, I, I slip into like my fight or flight mode. So I want to breathe in like my truth, who I am, who I want to be, and then choose how I want to engage from that place but the key is acceptance and i think also razel this is not about the yumtiv table like let's not blame it on the yumtiv table because if it's if it's happening at the yumtiv table is like kind of like a magnifying glass of what happens the whole week so yes it's more intense yes it's exaggerated like a like a what is it like not a meme but what's that a caricature it's really a caricature of the rest of our lives so let's use it as a lesson of like an insight of like oh this is what i want to work on not as a, you know, this is not the end goal. Also, raising children is a process. You know, it's a construction zone. I look at it like our Shabbos table is not a product of a book. It's a process of history. It's a process of every single child's journey and my journey as a parent, my husband's journey as a parent, my guests, how we converge, you know, and come together with each other, it's a process and it's a construction zone and there's gonna be noise and there's gonna be mess and that's okay, it's part of the, the process. So acceptance for me is a very, very big piece. Yeah, I also would say that reframing, I think that having realistic expectations of what yes. it should be. Like really, right. I, I, that idea that they should be sitting quietly is not a reality. And to right. and, and sometimes we look back and say, oh, well, our childhood, we did that. Right. We were very respectful. And I would say that there's probably some resentment there too, that we weren't able to, be our full selves at a meal and show up the way we really wanted to. But then again, I mean, it's also a different world. It's a different time different world. And, and like, I, like I, somebody said, I remember who it was, maybe Sarah Marazov or um, on a different podcast, they said, we don't use the same spices as our grandparents. We don't <laughs> wear the same clothes as our grand clothing and dresses as our grandparents right. and grandmothers. So why do we think that, you know, everything else should be just like our grandparents? It's a different exactly. world, different time. It is a different world. That's something else to, to keep in mind as well. Um, yeah. So I, a lot of the other questions were more about like, 
the idea of clearing and setting every single meal, like it's twice a day and it's just repetitive and it's a lot of it. And you go from Yom Kippur, you finish four days later as a sukkah, and then it's like Chalamai, you're, you're have all the kids home and then you have Simchas um, Taira um, and then there's, you know, like, you know, especially Simchas Taira could be like a lot of food, a lot of going and coming and not like very calm. What would you tell, what what can you share with us to help us go into Yom Tif and and all the different things that we need to be doing and be able to not go to a place of fear, like you said, but rather rather come from a place of love and show up the way we want to show up. So obviously, I mean, I'm going to say the most obvious thing. I was once recently, we're having a lot, everyone was coming for Shabbos and I was a lot of little kids. And I, I found myself in the beginning of the week thinking like on one hand, I'm like really excited that all the little kids are coming. Um, but then I was like also feeling stressed. Like, what is that going to be like with all the little kids and the mess? And then I was like, oh, what if I get um, my cleaning help to come on Shabbos day? And I asked her to come and she was able to come for a couple of hours. And I was able to look forward to Shabbos because I had cleaning help. Um, last year, I also I did that for Tishrei. Like I really took more cleaning help. Now I know that's a luxury. Not everybody could afford it. For me, I rather take more cleaning help than buy myself another pair of shoes or another dress or jewelry or vacation because that to me is happiness. So everybody chooses where they spend their money. And I really, I'm a very, very big believer in getting cleaning help so that it doesn't have to be overwhelming for me. At the same time, if cleaning help is not an option, what are other shortcuts that we could take for ourselves? Whether it's less cooking, whether it's using paper goods, whether it's you know disposable tablecloths. I personally, I love a cloth tablecloth, right? But when it comes to Pesach, and there's a lot of crumbs, like I'll, 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 I'll say, okay, so I don't love how it looks, but I love how it feels to be able to take off that tablecloth and dump it in the garbage and be done, right? So we have to pick, there, everybody must sit down and think of what you could do to make it work for yourself. What am I gonna do to make it work for yourself? And I wanna share, like take this a little bit in a different direction. And that is, um, it's our job to take care of ourselves. And when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, this whole Tishrei season, a lot of us decide subconsciously, we don't even realize that we're making this decision, that we're going to cook, clean, serve, whatever, and other people are going to take care of us. Other people are going to compliment us. Other people are going to be nice to us. Other people are going to give us, you know, a big thank you. They'll appreciate it. And that's going to feed us. You know what? It's nobody's job to take care of you. It's your job to take care of you. And I, I, I once read this book years ago. It was called, if you don't feed the teachers, they'll eat the students. <laughs> and I, I think if you don't feed yourself, you will eat your kids or your husband. You'll bite their nose off, right? Because you'll be so hungry. And you know what? When I'm feeling like rich, in, when I'm feeling well taken care of, and I feel like I have everything I need for myself and I'm taking care of myself, then you give me a compliment and I'm like grateful for that. But if I am so needy and I feel so like overworked and so exhausted and so tired and you give me a compliment, I want to throw it back in your face. Like, you know what I mean? If I need a million dollars and you offer me a dollar, then keep your dollar. Okay. Thank you very much. You know, no, you know what I mean? I don't need it. But if I don't need a million dollars, if I don't need anything and you give me a dollar gift, I'll, I'll say thank you. Obviously, I'm not talking about a dollar, but you know what I mean? 
Yes. We really, really, really have to take care of ourselves. Let's not stop. stop. I think specifically during tissue, specifically when you are going to be working extra hard, for some people it might be, yeah, I am going to take that manicure. I am going to take the walk around the block or, you know, the half hour walk around the lake, or I am going to do my exercise. I'm not, if that's part of my daily thing and that's what makes me feel like good, I'm going to do that exercise. I'm going to dive in actually. I'm going to sit down and dive in for the five minutes or the 10 minutes. I'm going to do it for myself because that's what makes me feel like a person who also is a someone who has needs you know, just like I'm taking care of everybody else, I'm also going to take care of me. And I'm going to do that first. You know, I, I feel like it, it, I can't even say that enough. It's such a big deal. I have a friend who works very, very hard. Um, she, has a, she has a full-time job. And she said that one time she had a full, you know, come, came home at the end of her full-time job. And she's serving, this was years ago. Um, she was serving supper to her. Like she was giving each kid a, a portion of soup. They were sitting down at the table, they were eating their soup. And then, and she's still standing and her husband came in and he sits, he sits down by the table and he says um, to her, do you mind passing the salt? And she suddenly felt furious because here she just was on her feet, like she was working a whole day, then she's serving. Like, why are you asking me to pass this? Are you crazy or something? Offer me a drink. Like, why are you asking me to pass the salt? But her rage, that that ferocious anger that came forth after she realized like what was happening inside of her, she's like, wait, what I'm really angry about is that I am running on empty. I'm running on empty. And then so his request for salt is like, how dare you ask me for something when I'm on empty and you're supposed to be taking care of me? And then she realized, no, you know. I want to come to the table full. I'm supposed I'm supposed to have been taking care of myself. I shouldn't have been standing on my feet, ladling, ladling out soup from a place of exhaustion. Like I, I really need to find time during my day where I'm taking care of myself, so that when somebody asks me to pass the salt, it doesn't feel like an insult. Mm. So good, so important for us to remember this. And you know, I think that when we think of what our job is, what our role is, we may picture that we're, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're right. supposed to be, we should be the person that's ladling out the soup. Yeah, that's true. But you're forgetting what's going before that. Right. It it's not just that scenario that you're looking at. You have to see the whole picture. You can't just see the trees. You have to see the whole forest. And all of that right. part plays a right. part in it. It's so important. Right. To remember. And Razel, you said about, you know, your job description. Job description um, is another whole thing that I feel like where we need to work um, as when our kids are tiny, the little babies, our job description is to take care of all their needs, physical, spiritual, emotional. As a child grows, their needs grow, their world expands. And really, it's not possible for us to fill all of our child's needs. It really isn't. And I know that as a mother, part of my parenting journey, moving from younger children to teenagers and to adults, for me, I had to consciously let go of the job description in which I felt responsible to make my children happy all the time. I still feel like it's my job, even of older children, to be a role model, to be supportive, to be helpful when I can, but I'm not there to take care of all their needs. So when I'm standing in my kitchen and there's 10 needs <laughs> pulling at me from a hundred different directions, it's like, wow, these are needs. I can just breathe 
and give space for them to have their needs. It's not all on me. It's like, yeah, they have their needs and some are, I'm going to contribute, but I'm not going to solve every problem. I'm not going to resolve every conflict. I am not going to wipe away even every single tear. I'm not going to smooth out every bump on the road. Everybody has their own journey. And if I can let go of that need to take care of everybody's needs, then their needs don't have to make me feel resentful either. So how, do, I mean? we, how do we let go of that idea? Like, what does it look like to be, to be healthy in that way? And actually when your adult or older child, teenage child is, has a need and you're, it's not yours to fix. What does it look like to, how do, how do you show up and, and express that in a way that's not resentful? We say to those teens or children that are looking for, looking to us for that need to be fixed. That doesn't sound resentful because a lot of times we could say it in a resentful sounding way that hurts the the, the adult child or the, or the teenager. You know, this is not mine to fix. This is yours to hold. Sounds mean and hurtful. Right. You know, when we say it in a mean way, we say it in a mean way when we're not really sure and we're trying to convince ourselves. That's when we say it in a mean way. Right. When we're angry at them for making us feel responsible, but really if it's a, it's a very, very, it's very deep work, Razel. That's the truth. It's not something that you could just do overnight. It's something that you have to really sit down with a journal and think, how do I see my job description as a mother? How do I see my job description as a wife? How do I see my job description of these children or of that particular child? Very, very deep work. It's not something we do. You can do it once, but then keep revisiting it. Mm. If you're feeling resentful in a relationship, I know for myself, Whenever I'm feeling resentful in a relationship, it's always because I have taken upon myself a need that doesn't really belong to me. That's the only time I'm going to feel resentful in a relationship. It's wow. when I have a need that is actually not mine. Because if, if, if I'm living from the place of my truth and what I want to do, then I don't have to be resentful of anybody else. It's when, only when I feel pushed and pulled and drained and squeezed that's when we start feeling resentful, when we're taken advantage of. But nobody could take advantage of you without your permission. Nobody could take advantage of you without your cooperation. Yeah. So yeah, some people are very authoritative and very strong and have a lot of emotional energy. And so that means we have to be more secure in our commitment to ourselves and our commitment to our job description. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, free us of the responsibility to be, to take charge of our own job descriptions, of our own agendas, of what is, what really is our job. So if a, if a teenager has a need, let's say for friendship, right? Or, or oh, let's take a very typical need, boredom, okay? The kids are bored. This is, everybody happens. This happens to everybody, right? Now, the kids are bored. It's my job as a mother to provide opportunities for them. I have to make sure, do I have games? Do I have toys? Do I have opportunities for them to explore their talents like on the weekdays and their hobbies? Am I giving them space to be able to, to you know, to have, uh, you know, recreation and, and, and things to do? Are there things to do in the house? Yes, if not, so fine. Once I did my job, it's like, okay, let's sit down and make a list for a younger kid. Let's sit down and make a list of all the things you like to do. And then you could look at the list. 
or let's sit down and talk about what you what would you want to be doing theoretically when you say you're bored what's coming up for you what do you really mean what do you need that you don't have you know so beyond those conversations and beyond that work of really enabling empowering our children to hold responsibility for their entertainment and their sense of fulfillment and their time their free time i'm not going to do it for them if i see myself as I'm responsible to make them not bored, then they'll never take responsibility for their own entertainment. Only one person could hold responsibility for one for each thing, right? So if it's my job to entertain them, then it's not their job. Okay, so let's, okay. Say, let's say it's Yomtev afternoon. Okay, it's a Yomtev and your, your child's bored. Yeah. And if she comes in and she's, mom, I'm so bored, I'm so bored. So what am I hearing you say is that Instead of saying, well, why don't you try this? Or why don't you try that? Instead of trying to fix it, actually sit down and have a conversation. Well, what are some of the things that you like to do? Yeah. And then from there, come, let her then choose the different things, have that conversation, have different options, and then she can make the choice. So now she's owning it. Now she's the one who's who's finding the, she's also feeling like, you know, I I got this. I I, I came up with this. Yeah. And yeah. It's I, yeah, I want to add something to what you're saying. And that is that when a kid says, I'm so bored, what they're really expressing is an emotion, right? You wish you had something to do. What What do you wish you had that you that you? They're expressing an emotion, right? It's not just they're bored. It's like they're expressing something. They're expressing a need. So what do they really need right now? Maybe they really just want a friend to play with. Maybe maybe they want you. Uh, you know, maybe you want they want your attention. Not you maybe. Know, maybe they want something to read. So, but. But it's good to, to 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 take the conversation in that direction. What does that mean for you? Like, what what do you want? What would you like from me? So my kids will say, and I'm going to be very honest and vulnerable here. <laughs> I want to live in a from community where there's other kids so we could play with. And that's yeah. something that's 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 very challenging. And all the shluchos that are listening know what I'm talking about. That yeah. loneliness. And um, so of course you go. Well, I chose to come on shluchos, so I'm going to be the one. I have to go play with them. I got to be their friend. So I should, 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 should. All that shoulding happens because there's this idea, like you said, my job description shifts because I start to have guilt around it. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah, it is very hard. But if it, can I just, Please. as a parent, like if my kid will say, well, I want to be something and then they're saying something that they don't have. I wish we lived in a, I want to live in a bigger house. I yeah, want to always something they could live in, I wanna live in that neighborhood, else. not in this neighborhood. I want to live near so-and-so. Right. Um, I want to be in a place in a hotel, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I don't want it to be raining. Right. Oh, okay. So, could. so I would put that in the same category because yep. this is their life and we don't have to feel guilty because it is possible for them to develop and a kid that never has to struggle and never has to stretch, never has to do hard things, is not a kid that's going to be healthy in this world. You know what I mean? So yep. I think that instead of taking that on as our guilt, we we really need to believe in our kids a little bit more. Mm. And and from that place of not feeling guilty, we could just validate the emotion. Yeah, it's it actually is really really hard not to have friends. I could I could relate. You know, sometimes I feel lonely too, and just let that sit for a minute. Without any but, here's what you could do. But, 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 without the but, because I think we move too quickly to the but. I I do. I really do. I'm like, yeah, I know it's hard, but could you, 
stop with the butt, you know, like just, I know it's hard. Yeah. And let that breathe, let that breathe. That is okay. So it's hard. Now, what are we going to do? The kid themselves will be like, oh, okay. So I'm going to play with this. They, you know, once they feel understood, it's a, it's a whole different ball game. Mm, I love it. That's so true because you know, I, I'm in the country in the summer too, and they are very busy, but there's still moments that there's things that they wish more of. They wish it wasn't raining, like you said, or <laughs> whatever, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. But it's such a good point to remember, like you said, ABC, like breathe and then make a choice, but allow Except them to breathe and choose, allow them yeah. to allow them to fetch. And so that's our work is to not say, oh, see, if I worked harder, I had more money, I'd have a bigger house. Or if I had, you know, this choice, if I lived in this place, then I, so like, that's where the voices in our head start to build our own guilt and shame. And then we start to go to a place of, oh, I got to fix this. I have to fix it. And right. that's where the problems start to. Right. Yeah. I think that many of us are afraid of, because there's so much more awareness of what, of, of how unmet needs could play themselves out in adulthood problems, you know, deprivation and, you know, neediness. We're so afraid as parents of making mistakes and not being there for our children that we very, we tend to operate and engage from that place of fear. And I feel that that's a very, that's like, that's a big mistake on our part, you know, we have to trust that we have whatever it takes to give our children a healthy life. This house is okay. Now, obviously we wanna always check in with ourselves. Am I providing enough opportunities? Do we have enough toys in this house? I think, you know, when the kids were little, I bought a new toy every single yamtiv. It's halacha and shulchan arach. That, you know, the, the husband's supposed to buy something new for the wife in the clothing department and buy something, I don't know if it's sweets or a toy for the children. So we buy clothing for the children, but I think new toys and games and puzzles, and I had tons of toys when the kids were little, and I think that that's important. So I know I'm doing my part. There's, oppor there's opportunities here. And then we don't have to feel guilty. We could just trust that the child has whatever it takes to make, to make this, this is, this is okay. We could do our life. We're, we're good. We have whatever we need inside of ourselves and inside of this house. And if we don't, Make a suggestion. Like, I'm happy to go get something. Let's think what we could do, like what we could buy, what we could bring, what we could change. But like, let's trust that our kids can do hard things and that we have what it takes to give our kids a healthy childhood. And not having a neighbor who's a friend is 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 really possible. There are many children who grew up very, very healthy and happy. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a drawback, but it's not everything. It's not a deal breaker. It's not a, it's okay. We could we yeah. could do this. <laughs> we'll survive. We'll thrive. They're more resilient than we think. That's the truth. We have to that's, move away from you, our fear. Yeah, that's beautifully said. They are. They really are. But they're not resil resilient in the face of our guilt and our fears and our need to protect them from difficult situations and challenges. Expound on that. What do you mean by that? They're not meaning. They're not, meaning, if we're if we're guilty, like if we're feeling guilty and we're feeling fearful, that really makes it difficult. That's not something that our kids could handle. That's really hard on the kids. That that takes away their resilience. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. That but makes them feel victimized. I'm a very big believer in the story that we tell ourselves. I, I, I'm not a big believer in the story, but in the 
in the importance of how we tell stories of our lives and our situations. You know, if if we look at if we have a story in our head, poor me, that I have to now go through Yamtif and it's so hard and there's so much work and it's gonna be so difficult. You know what? I don't want to be around you. <laughs> I don't think you want to be around yourself. You know what I mean? Could you change that story? Could you make it a happy story? And that really has to come from the inside. So when we look at our child and they're telling us a, a fact that's a challenge, it's up to us to help them make that into a happy story, not to like to not to turn our fear into a story of self-pity in their mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's very true. I think we tell ourselves stories all the time. Well, you know, why am I not deserving of this? This nachas that, that that friend of mine has. Why am I not deserving? Uh, why do I have to deal with this? Why is this this right. challenge that I have? Right. In general, the word why is not serving. It's not a forward moving question. Right. It, it doesn't, you know, what next? Or what could I do about it? Or what choice can I make here in this situation? Helps us be more solution focused and not problem focused. What? But yeah, but even let's say a, a typical, to bring that into an example, a practical example of a kid scrapes their knee, right? And they hurt themselves. A lot of us confuse empathy with pity. And it's like, oh, I'm so sorry this happened. It's so terrible. You know, poor you, Nebuch, you know, like, uh, so, or it's so horrible that your sister did that to you, as opposed to, wow, this really hurts. Oh my, it really, really hurts. Not, you're not, you know, feeling sorry, you're empathizing, like this really hurts. I remember when my, when I had this, you know, when I broke my arm, that really, really hurt. You know, I know what it feels like to get a bruise, to get a boo-boo, you know, or, or to tell a kid, you really didn't deserve to be mm. spoken to that way. You really did not deserve. I know that that was so horrible. You did not deserve to be spoken to that way is very different than saying, whoa, that person's an idiot. They shouldn't have done that to you. Never on you. How are you supposed to survive this? This is crazy. That's like, you get what I'm saying? Mm. The comments that we make and how we talk to our child using empathy rather than pity helps them make happier stories. I love that. You didn't deserve versus the, how are you going to handle this? This is so, this is so terrible. Ay, 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 this, yeah. is, this is not manageable. That's one of my favorite lines. Uh, I did not deserve to be treated that way is just so validating for me. Um, I just, and it's, and it's without anger at the other person. I just did not deserve that. That was not okay. You know, it's, it feels so good, <laughs> you know, I love that. to say, um, yeah, I just, de I deserved to be supported in this situation. And I'm sad that I didn't get that support is, is very helpful because resentment is when our, this, our attention is pointed outward at what other people didn't do. And it feeds that sense of other people having more power than we do. And when we turn the spotlight in our mind, the focus of our attention inward, and it's not about what the other person did right or what the other person did wrong. It's what I need and, and, the, um, and the pain that I have that I didn't get that need, right? That, that's healing. That's where the healing begins because now I have this unmet need. So how can I give that? How can I help myself heal? How can I, how, what am I gonna do to help myself feel better? It's a whole different, you're in a whole different, on a whole different train. You know, the other one le leads you to like be stuck in bed with a pillow over your head or a tub of ice cream or, you know, wishing you had your phone to, 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 to distract you from the misery. And this one is like, it really leads to healing and strength and, and connection. 
So, okay, let's finish off with my one of my final questions. Okay. What did you used to think that was true, like that you thought was very important about going into Tishrei and Yom Tif and to do and to, or whatever it is, that after life experience and growth and personal, you know, your own journey, that you've come to realize actually that's that's not true. There's there's better ways. Wow, that's a big question, Razel. I know. I I think that what I used to I used to think of Tishrei as things to do. Like I would make my lists, or I didn't really make such. I didn't. I was not never into lists, but it was more like, what do I have to do? And now it's who do I want to be? That's a huge difference because most of the work for being able to show up and have a really happy Yom Tif together with family is who do I want to be? What position am I going to take? What's going to be the launching pad from which I will engage in my relationships this Yom Tif? What's going to be that? What's going to be the job description that's going to be my launching pad for everything that I want to get done? It's not, it, that's, I think that was for me the biggest shift um, to focus my attention on who I'm going to be. And if I'm, if I'm happy, you know, and doing what it, what it takes to make myself feel happy, taken care of, secure, because the other things really, either they'll get done or they won't get done, you know, and if we're happy, then really there's a whole different atmosphere in the house. And so my work is, that's a, that's a whole different, I, I guess that would be the best summary. I love that. We're human beings. We're not human doings. And a lot of times, yeah, well, we get caught up even in when that. there's a lot to do. Yeah. we still have to focus on who we are at our core and who we are. It's very interesting, Razel, because I was listening to a Sikha. There's an app, a daily Sikha. It's one of my favorite things. And I, you heard this from me before, but I love it. And, and recently there was a, a recording of the Rebbe speaking to women in... 1937 many years ago and and the Rebbe describes the women's um, role in the home interestingly enough as the one who like her work is to be joyful her work is to set the atmosphere it wasn't about the Rebbe was talking about specifically in parenting in Chinuch and the Rebbe said the Rebbe didn't say your job as a mother is to make sure every single kid says a bracha and every single kid, you know, points when they bench and doesn't interrupt themselves and everyone's quiet at the table. None of that. The Rebbe said, your, our job as a mother is to be a role model of, I wish I could remember the words, I don't. So I'm not quoting exactly. But the idea was that our job is to be a role model of joy and lichtekeit and varimkeit. How do you translate? Like this joy really and warmth yeah. Yeah. In, in the home and, and that's the biggest gift we can give our kids and so and I, to, to do whatever it takes to get there i would say that that's also a father's role today i think you know used to meaning i'm not adding to the rebbe's words but i'm saying both parents to come yeah, absolutely in a joyful way not um in a it's a brach in a sad way of like oh it's yomtif we have to get serious only and we have to be focused which is important it's young oh, but rather <laughs> not focus on the joyful part i'll tell you i'll, I'll end off with this story that my mother told me um she was going to the rebbe for dollars it was yudalf nisan right before pesach and she was pregnant and she said her feet were killing her and she had stood online and she had just finished getting pesach ready and she came in front of the rebbe and the rebbe wished her instead the rebbe said to her uh, and 
instead of saying a kosher nefelach Pesach, he said kosher and happy Pesach. He said a happy and a kosher Pesach. Rachel, I, <laughs> the Rebbe said that to my father too. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And if you know my mother, she's actually a very happy person. Naturally, she's, she, she excuses happiness and joy. She's just that kind of person. But she felt it. And she said, you know, she came home and she spoke to her mother on the phone, my grandmother. And she was telling her, you know, you need to you need to remember that that, that that's really what it's about. You're going to have because if you have a Freilich in Pesach, then you're for sure going to have a kosher in Pesach. Right. If you start off with the happiness, if you're going to be joyful, then you will definitely have a kosher Passover. Right. So yeah. I, I think about that every Shabbos, every Yantif, like where I'm doing my cooking or preparing. I want it to be full of joy because. That's right. really role model, modeling for our children. I love what you said with the, based on the Sikha, that our job isn't to make sure that they're doing everything perfect, that they that they dive and then they're doing everything perfect. Our job is to show for them, model for them the joy in Yiddishkeit, the joy in our 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 customs and in our in our Yantif and in our Shabbos. And if they see the joy, there's a much like much more likely chance that they're gonna want to um take that on for themselves in their lives and bring it to the next generation in Ritz Hashem. That's beautiful. That was so beautifully said. And just one practical tip, if people want to take one thing, um, I would say, look at your list of things to do and think what is non-essential? What could I take off from that list that will just make this a more joyful time for me and for my family? That's one thing. And also to ask ourselves the question, what do I need to do for myself so that I could be there so that I could show up for my family. I love it. Yeah. All I'm thinking about is how I really want to release this tomorrow <laughs> so that everyone <laughs> can take this in for their whole yant and not just wait till after Yom Kippur, but we'll see when I can get it out. Yeah. But I, I want to wish you a thank you for sharing your wisdom and being open to coming on again and and for, for sharing this because it's such an important thing and hearing it over and over again, just even... For me, like sitting here, I, I, all these things, yes, I know them and I, I'm trying to live them. But when you hear them, it just reminds us of what's important. Yeah. And this was such a good conversation. I love how you do your podcast, like actual conversations. Yeah. You know, that it's, I, I really love it because for me personally, this is also like, I'm so happy that we're having this conversation before Rosh Hashanah because telling it to myself and hearing your questions and your insights, um, just having this conversation is really giving me a boost of, focus and energy as I go into the yamtif. So we should both have a lechtika yamtif, a good yamtif, and for everyone. A And Hashem should give you continued hatzlacha in your amazing work. Amen, amen. Love that. Yeah. And now we're going to go on to my conversation with Rachel Brazel. Rachel is a psychotherapist, and she's committed to helping people of all ages, specifically work in treating um, a range of mental health issues, including anxiety, depression, OCD, um, emotional regulation, relationship challenges. And she really helps parents as well navigate the complexities of parenting children with mental health struggles. And she is somebody who comes highly recommended. And I just was very excited to have this conversation with her to get her perspective from from a clinician's point of view, how we could come into Yantif and what kind of tools do we need to use to really help ourselves show up the way we truly want to show up. So here's my conversation with Rachel Brazil. Hello, Rachel. Thank you so much for being willing to come on to my podcast and have this conversation. 
it's a really important topic. And I think a lot of people are going to gain a lot from this conversation. I initially spoke with an educator and a mentor of mine to talk about the spiritual aspect of Yumtif and how we can come into it with, you know, being present and coming, showing up the way we want to show up. But I thought it would be wonderful to have a clinician's point of view and um, just thought it would be a good way to kind of help people show up for all these days of Yumtif in a way that they really truly want to. So let's start off with a simple question, you know, regular people, not people that are dealing with family that is, um, you know, trauma or, or have had any kind of difficult, you know, relationships, just basic familial um, struggles, regular interactions. What kind yeah. of advice or what would you, what can you share with us to help us show up at our family meals and the Sauda and uh, different family time that we have and um, in the best way that we can? Okay, so that's a huge question. First of all, I have so much to share, so I'm going to have to pick and choose because there's so much out there. So, But I'm going to just dive in anywhere and try to respond to your question as succinctly as possible. So the first thing is what you shared, um, to have an awareness. The first point oh. is to have an awareness of the fact that this beautiful, Yantif is upon us and we're so lucky to have it, but we have to try to align quality time with quantity time. So here we have, we want to have quality time, but there's a lot of quantity time with family members. And some of those family members regularly are triggering, whether it's Yantif or not. And some of them, because we're in such close proximity and maybe a lot of marries are coming home or siblings, um, are around much more, they're triggering over Yantif. In addition to that, that means we're losing somewhat of our privacy, our personal space. We're more vulnerable because we're more exposed. Um, we don't have our routine of work. We don't have our gadgets, phone, WhatsApp, social media, the gym, whatever it is. We're, we're, we're missing that. And we need to have an awareness of that because if we're just going into Yantif full force, then we'll either sink or swim. But if we want to have a good chance at swimming so beautifully, then going in with this awareness, the knowledge that Yantif has its beauty and its challenges, and that's okay, instead of like say, oh, it has to be beautiful, the whole thing, to have an awareness that it has its challenges, that's the very first step the awareness so once we have the awareness we have the power and once we have the power we know that we need extra nourishment for our mind and body more than we have during the year and we have to do it intentionally we have to do it proactively um, with purpose instead of just when we need it we need to go in a little bit fortified so to speak on all fronts so the way I look at it is I think of it as like a four-prong approach. And individuals pick whichever prong they want to focus on, not necessarily all of them. So there is the emotional nourishment and the physical and the spiritual and the relational. And there are so many techniques and 
beautiful um, skills that one could implement before Yantif and during Yantif to make Yantif as special, joyful, and peaceful as it can be, depending on the person's home situation and where they are in that family. Are they a parent? Are they a young child, an adolescent, an older single, a married? Everybody has to figure it out for themselves. And this conversation is to help all of the above, everybody. Right. So that's, that's the way I see it. It starts with the awareness. Once we have the awareness, we can actually be proactive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, obviously. Okay. Uh, what are some important things to to keep in mind when we are, like you said, you know, without all of our, we're more vulnerable. We're without all of our um, distractions. You know, we don't have our phones. We don't have our routine. We don't have lots. We have lots and lots of one. You know, family time. It's loud for those for those of us that appreciate quiet. It's noisier for those mm-hmm. of us who appreciate the noise. Maybe it's quiet or whatever situation you find yourself in. What are some things that we can keep in mind to help us once we have this awareness that we need to nourish ourselves and come in prepared and what else is there okay so there's there's the way i see it before we get to how do we do have things in lieu of our gadgets or our routine i begin with the mind the emotional aspect so like you mentioned before there are people that are coming in with struggles, very great challenges emotionally, be it anxiety, depression, OCD, I mean, to just name a few. And I know that this conversation is not necessarily about them, but most people out there have something they're struggling with emotionally, several people, depending on the severity, whether it's mild, moderate, severe. And a good place to start is before Yuntif to actually speak to your support team, be it a therapist, a mentor, whoever it is, a spiritual leader, um, about putting a plan in place because we get triggered throughout the year. On Yuntif, these people are triggered even more and they need to have a plan in place and that they need to do with their support team. Um, Another important thing is to go in with a mindset, a very clear mindset. And you could even say this to yourself every single morning of Yantif and even before, before you even get out of bed, you could say, I have the power to be, to bring peace and joy to myself. I, and you could say it in any words, of course, but something along the lines that you're empowering yourself to bring peace and joy to every single day of Yantif, no matter what the chaos is. And notice that I said to myself, not to take the responsibility responsibility of bringing peace and joy to every family member um, and not to try to control others and not to try to control the environment, but to work internally on yourself to bring peace and joy to every single day and sort of um, surrender to what's happening outside of you and do the best you can within yourself. And of course, surrender to Hashem, of course, but at the same time to realize that we need to have a mindset that we have the power to bring peace and joy to ourselves. And then a very big piece of emotional in the mind as well is, is like to lower expectations. Um, 
most of us go in with very high expectations of what Yontif should look like in a Jewish home. And those expectations lead to failure because as soon as we don't mean to meet those expectations of what Yontif should look like or what how we should act during Yontif or how we should feel during Yontif or how all our children should be acting during Yontif or our spouse, all of a sudden, when we don't measure up, it's like, oh my goodness, why are we so different? All the judgment comes in, the self-judgment, the compare and despair. Look at that family. They're all wearing their beautiful tan tops with navy pants and navy skirts, walking so peacefully, and my children are so chaotic and all their clothing is a mess already. Or look how much her husband is helping her and being so supportive, and my husband is not helping me with the children. So you need to lower your expectations. Just like we're dealing, we're out of routine, we're without our gadgets, we have less privacy, less personal space. So are the children and the married and the spouse. We're all in this together, in this beautiful place together. So we need to lower our expectations of ourselves, of what Yontif should look like and what each family member should be bringing to the table. Once we lower the expectations, we don't end up in that black, white, all nothing thinking of, oh, this is a disaster, or that compare and despair, comparing to what we believe other families are experiencing versus our family. Right. So I think that's that's more for you know the emotional piece to get your your emotions ready or your mind, so to speak. I put it together a little bit. Yeah, I like that. Do you think that it's okay as well, like you said, to prepare ahead of time? You know, you don't have to have the regular weekday routine, but you can incorporate perhaps a walk in the afternoon so that you can have some time to decompress or a shot like a nap where you have, or a cup of tea in a private space where you get to reset. I think that also kind of pre-planning, not even if you're like dealing with major issues, maybe just, you know, smaller, minor things, you know, just to reset from all of that hub and excitement. Exactly. A hundred percent, Hazel. I think basically, if you think about the Maslow's hierarchy, what's the lowest tier? The lowest tier is our basic needs, our basic needs. And we have to keep that in the forefront of our mind for ourselves, for our spouse, for our children. It's very important that if they're missing or we're missing our basic needs, every single thing that's triggering will be magnified. So <clears throat> if we don't have our sleep, which is number one, water, enough water, food, exercise, slash movement, we're going to be at a much lower level of tolerance, to put it mildly. Yeah. And we need to keep that in mind for ourselves and our family members so that we could understand what's going on more. And exactly like you said, we need to be proactive. We need to get stuff in place in lieu of the more privacy we had without Yantif, without the family, the phones, the gadgets, the spa, the gym, the work. We need to be creative, whether it's wonderful books or games, play dates for the children, coffee dates for ourselves, walk, you know, a walking partner that gets us out of the house, even to prepare our favorite foods and snacks that we have our go-tos just to enjoy, especially over Yantif, so that we have something in place in lieu of those other things that we're missing over Yantif. Right. So and, and you, can even, you know, 
I wanted to say you could even build in some fun challenges for yourself and for family members. Like if you've been drinking five cups of water a day, set yourself a challenge of drinking eight cups of water a day. Um, set yourself a challenge to go out three times a day for a five minute walk or dance by yourself or with the family or run up and down the steps 10 times. We need to get movement in. So you could build in little challenges with or without the family that could be fun and it could be pre-planned like you said. Right. So do you have any specific communication techniques or tips for addressing sensitive topics or conflicts that may arise during family gatherings? It tends to be that, you know, let's say one of your children will bring up a topic that's, you know, sensitive and at a Shabbos meal or a, t a conversation that can be more, you know, that this sibling and that sibling disagree on, or, you know, what, what kind of strategies can people use to help with these communication um, topics or conflicts? Well, that's an interesting question. So are you asking me that when you see the conflict in, is in progress, what could you right. do or is that what maybe, you're asking? I'm not maybe quite... both. Maybe there. Maybe there's. You know, I'm. I'm thinking. Let's see if there's a topic that comes up. Is there? Is there a good way for us to shut it down so it doesn't get out of control? Or is there a way to kind of shear in a sensitive way that perhaps let's you know change this topic or just ways maybe before or during either either way. Sometimes you can prepare. Sometimes it just happens. Okay, so there's so many communication communication techniques, but I think. The one thing we, we need to keep in mind is like, let's say there are married siblings visiting, for instance, I'm just giving an example, and a sensitive topic comes up between two siblings, um, and a parent is watching this go on, and they know that this can escalate into something not very comfortable. The first thing I think the, the parent has to realize is these are adults, and to bring down the fear element, of this could turn into something big. <clears throat> this is family time and it's okay to have a little conflict. Ooh, the, first thing is, the first thing is to be okay with it because that's going to calm you down instead of, oh my God, goodness, where is this going? This is going to turn into something very, very nasty. Actually to be okay with it and not to try to be the peacemaker <clears throat> because most often you'll say something wrong. One of them or both of them will take offense, but to let it go and almost like surrender and say, they're both adults, they could figure this out. Do you know that children and even anyone, if they know that there's someone there that's the peacemaker and going to be the one to make everything calm, they, they don't take ownership. But when they know they're in this and they have to figure it out, they'll take ownership of it. It's not necessarily our job to shut down a difficult conversation. And I think we have to realize that there's nothing wrong, however, in being proactive. If we know that before Yantif, that these two siblings usually get into difficult conflicts, we can have a conversation with them as a group and say, hey, we really want to try to have a lot of calm and joy in our home. And it's okay if you guys have conflict, but just keep in mind that we should try to be there for each other as much as we can. So we could be proactive, but once it's really happening, trying to shut it down could almost escalate it mm. because then they'll even try to find each other's, you know, say that they're the more the one that's more correct in their arguments and, and let okay. it go. You, you could ask them, 
you know, I hear, see you're having a heated argument a little bit. Maybe go into another room and figure it out together. You know, and that's okay. So you're giving them permission, you're adults, and I trust so what you're telling them is I trust that you're going to figure this out. And you ask them because you don't need them arguing in front of all the children necessarily. And it is your home. So you can take ownership of that. But like that. there's there's so much one can do for relationships constantly before, during Yante. Like there are so many nice things one could do. You know, most of us have one or two people, if we're lucky, in our family that are triggering for us, especially during the holidays when everyone's coming and the house is getting crowded in a beautiful way. Really, before you get out of bed every morning, you can close your eyes and think of that person that's usually triggering for you and think of three to five things and you could even say them out loud, then you admire or respect or love about them. And you could do that for as many triggering family members because we could usually find a few things when we're calm. And then those thoughts will be in the forefront of your mind when they trigger you. And it will sort of be a buffer. So that's one nice thing to do. Something I do often in my home is I do do-overs. When I say something incorrectly, nasty, a little bit with a temper, um, I asked for a do-over. I said, oh my gosh, that did not come out nicely. Can I have a do-over? And mm. I say it, I say it, it, it's a little, it's a little playful and that's nice, but it's also very empowering. I messed up. Can I have a do-over? And I say it differently. I even did a different twist on this do-over when my husband said something to me that bothered me when I walked in and asked, I asked him a question and it bothered me. I know I'm being a little vulnerable here. I said to him, Shmuel, could we do a do-over? I was hoping when I asked you that, you would say this and this and this. So I'm gonna come back into the house. And do you think you could say that to me to make me feel good? And he thought I was nuts but he played along and we laughed about it and it eased the tension. It was amazing. I um, love that. I, think I, I never thought of a do-over from that angle. I like, because that requires vulnerability. That requires saying that you hurt me. That requires saying, I didn't like what you said. And yet it puts the power back in your hands. Yes. In some regard, you're putting, you're saying, well, you made me feel, but now make me feel good. But you're, you're the one that's owning the story and you're, you're clearly asking and stating what it is that you need. And that's very helpful. Yeah, it, it, it actually worked. You know, it didn't backfire. It could backfire. <laughs> you know, you, when you do a do-over, that could also backfire. The other person can say, no, you can't. You already hurt me. Do you know what I'm saying? But yeah, it's sure. still a beautiful, it's a beautiful skill to have. I also find that it's a beautiful skill to teach your children. Because when they see adults doing it, you know, monkey see, monkey do. Um, I think it's also important that when there is a conflict, you with somebody else, that is not the time to resolve the conflict Conflict when you're in conflict. When someone says something hurtful to you and you're in a reactive state or the other person is in a reactive state, it's not the time to say something. What one could say at that time is, I'm not in a frame of mind to discuss that right now. I wanna take a few minutes or an hour or two 
and come back to it because that hurt me. And because it's very important that both you and the other person, whether it's a parent, a child, husband, wife, two siblings, they learn that skill of not trying to resolve conflict in a reactive state, but to wait till they're in a receptive state, both, both members. That's very important thing to keep in mind. I mean, very often, I shouldn't say very often, but if a child hurts me in any way, and I know that if I'm going to respond to them immediately, it's going to be hurtful and it's just going to escalate the conflict. And I say to them, I'm not ready to respond to you now because I'm hurt and I know it's going to come out wrong. I need time. Hmm. And they learn to do the same. That's beautiful. You know, just to finish off, I know it's it's a very full question, but you know, what the conversation has led to a, another question for me is that, you know, we're coming into Yom Kippur now and forgiveness, forgiveness, right? We were supposed to ask for forgiveness. Can you share one or, you know, one small or short thing about the correct way to ask for forgiveness and the correct way to really forgive? That's an interesting question. Um, Cause I don't think there's one correct way. Of course, we know from the Torah, there's the four steps, right. but I think you're asking on a, on a more personal level. I think it depends on the person who's asking forgiveness. There are some people that have a very difficult time with saying, I'm sorry. Some people have a very difficult time with certain people that they're saying they're sorry to, do you forgive me? Because they believe the other person will say, no, I don't. Um, I think it's a, a very individual piece, but to keep in mind that when you apologize and ask for forgiveness, you're doing God's will and you're doing your part and you're the bigger, you're, you're, you're raising your standards to do it with pride and, and pride and humility. I know they sound dichotomous, but they're not. To do it with pride and humility. I'm sorry if I hurt you this year. Can you find it in your heart to forgive me so that we can go into Yom Kippur clean with a clean slate? Hmm. I, you know, one of the things that you just said, I, I'm sorry, if if I feel like sometimes is not a true real apology though. Like I want to mm -hmm. be able to really, when I, when I state that I'm sorry, I, well, at least for me, I want the person to say to me what it is that they did. It helps me to be able to truly forgive because they're owning it and they're, they're taking responsibility for it. But if they're just, you know, sorry that they hurt me, it doesn't feel like they're really owning what it is that they, that they, that they did. So then I think the onus would be on you to say that to them. The onus would be on you to say, I very much want to forgive you. Could we have a conversation about what it is that you feel you hurt me with? Or would you like me to share with you what I was hurt about? Hmm. You know, because they're making a bid for connection, so to speak, by apologizing. And that may have been a very difficult Thanks first for step that. for them. And, and it could be it wasn't, but I don't know that other person necessarily. But if someone's asking forgiveness and they're saying it sincerely and not just by rote because they're supposed to, then they went halfway. And I think it's nice if we could come the other halfway and say, it's so important for me to forgive you sincerely and deeply. 
can we have a few minute conversation about what transpired between us that you're asking forgiveness for or that I need to forgive you for? Yeah, I like that. That resonates. Vulnerability and actually meeting them halfway. It's a big piece of it. Right. I want to finish up with one final question. What is something that you thought you knew very well about Yamtiv and how, how important it is to do before Yamtiv or an important thing to keep in mind about Yamtiv that you've come to realize that after life experience and living your life that actually, no, that's not necessarily true, rather something else instead. That is a very, very deep question because there's so much I did learn, but it's basically what this conversation is about. What we're going to remember after Yamtiv is the beautiful moments, the separate piece, the beautiful moments. We're not going to remember how wonderful every single meal was and how tasty everything was or how magnificently the soup was decorated or how perfectly our children were dressed. What we're going to remember is the pure joy that we experienced during Yantif and in the preparations. I always say when we prepare for a long Yantif like Sukkis or Pesach, not to compare them, I mean, there are different preparations, but it's all in it's all in what the children and the family and the spouse remembers most and ourselves. Number one is how we prepared for Yantif. Were we calm, relaxed, joyful? Was there music? And then we go into Yantif with the same feeling. Not every meal has to be five courses or three or two. Not every decoration has to be put up. Not every outfit has to be pressed. We just have to work on what we're taking out of this, Yantif, the pure joy of it, not the perfection, not checking if we did everything right. And always, I think also that what happens sometimes over Yantif for me, and I'm sure for many, is that when I messed up or there was conflict, I, so to speak, decided that's it. I threw in the towel. What a messed up Yantif. And that could be the first, second, or third day of Yantif. And there are so many. And to try to keep in mind that for a simple analogy of a Bentley and one of your tires blew out, are you going to go and slash the other three? So the same thing with Yantif. We all mess up. And that's what I wish someone would have told me. Mess up is human. It's synonymous with human. And it's okay to mess up. The question is, let it go. Get over it. Contain it. Apologize. Process it with a friend. But let it go and move on with confidence and joy. Don't slash the other three tires. And just work on optimizing your strengths. Yantik is not a time to fix all your weaknesses. Take your strengths, whether it's with relationships or connecting to God or, um, you know, working on your emotional mindful piece, whatever it is, maximize and optimize those strengths and let them carry you through the untiff instead of saying, I need to fix all my weaknesses here. Oh, look where I'm weak. Mm. That's not the time to do that. I love that. Rachel, thank you so much for your time. I really it's appreciate your pleasure. insights. I, I enjoyed it very much. And I wish you a good year to you and all the listeners. And I'm looking forward to a true Chag Sameach.
Thank you so much for being here and for listening to this conversation today. I hope you learned a thing or two and that you feel ready to go ahead with Yantif. And I just wanted to take a moment to wish all of my listeners a Gemara Chesimateva, an easy fast, and a Chag Sameach, and a wonderfully happy Yantif. May we all really experience true inner peace, inner joy, and may we be able to navigate our challenges with ease and with resilience. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate each and every one of you. I'd love to hear feedback. You can contact me through my website, apositivecoach.com. And for those of you that left a rating, thank you so much. If you haven't yet, please go ahead and do that. It helps us, it helps others be able to find this podcast easier. Again, wishing you a wonderful Yantif.